live an uncommon life, one needs to learn uncommon discipline. Welcome to the Unbeatable Mind Podcast. This is Mark Devine, and um, I'm having a, a conversation with Theo Ross. We've already kind of launched into talking about our experiences with COVID-19 yeah. and the yeah. pandemic, or what some people think is a scamdemic, but <laughs> <laughs> definitely not if you're from New York. Yeah. Uh, let me tell you about Theo, and then we'll continue the conversation. So Theo is uh, from um, Staten Island. I've been out to Staten Island a number of times, taking that ferry back yeah. and forth, and yeah. a really interesting place. Uh, he is an actor, um, had many seasons on Sons of Anarchy, which mm-hmm. is a Netflix series. Also, um, Luke Cage, mm-hmm. which, um, frankly, you know, since I don't really watch TV, I don't, I've never seen either of these, but I can't wait to talk to you about him. Yeah. <laughs> He's got his own podcast called, called Theory, mm-hmm. spelled capital T-H-E-O-R-Y, play off his thir- first name, which means Obviously, God, but right? doesn't it? Theo means God. Theo, Theo means God. Theo. Yeah, yeah. The, Theo is short for Theodore, and there was too many uh, Ted's and Theodores, so they stuck me you with chose Theo. Theo. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you do also a lot of work with vets, so we're going to talk mm-hmm. about that because we have a um, a foundation that supports vets with post traumatic yep. stress. But anyway, so thanks for your time today, man. I am from New York State. Yeah, upstate. I went to school in Albany. I went to college. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I went to Colgate, which is near Syracuse. Know um, it well. Yeah. Yeah, upstate is also similar probably to Austin, where like my family in uh, Clinton, New York, and outside of Utica, there's really not a whole lot of COVID no. stuff going on. I, I think it's largely because it's so spread out and, and people are generally really healthy up there because they've got to be outside, you know, chopping wood and, mm-hmm. and, and shoveling the snow and and, um, but New York City, you know, to me, I lived there for four years. That's all, you know, yeah. and so I have that limited perspective. But um, I, I felt when I left there, I felt like within a couple months, like a new person. I went from New York City to San Diego, and I'm convinced it, it was a couple of things. One, the quality of the air, mm-hmm. right? C- completely, mm-hmm. it's like smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. And I just mm-hmm. say that kind of anecdotally but that's what it felt like i go out mm-hmm. for a run and i get back and i'm like wheezing and I'm like oh breathing all that all that you know the smog and whatever really does a toll on your lungs and your yeah. health number two is just um i love new yorkers they got a great attitude they're resilient in a lot of ways but they're not necessarily the healthiest people in spite of the air no. so it's not just the air you know it's like people are, are always busy running from one thing to another and so they'll just stop at the pizza shop and I mean, this is what I did. I grab a piece of Manhattan pizza mm-hmm. and it's totally full of grease. You know, you know how that grease would drip off. Yeah. And, and anyway, so when I was there, I, I ate too much pizza. I, I breathed all that crazy air. Everyone was smoking and um, I drank too much. Everyone loves drinking in New York and, and then everyone <laughs> lives on top of each other. Right. And so they're spreading those germs in the subways and everywhere. So it's just it's no wonder New York is just getting slammed. Yeah. I remember when I was uh, one time when I was traveling in South America and, you know, I was, I was thinking I was in Buenos Aires or something. I was working out there and someone said to me, you know, the difference with you guys, you know, uh, especially in New York, he said is, you know, you live to work and we work to live, you know, right. and, right. and that, and ultimately when you look at the cost of living in New York city and the way it's set up is that you have to, it, something's always going to suffer in this balance of life. So if you want to live in New York city and you're going to pay those taxes (laughs) and you're going to be part of that system, that ecosystem, your health, your relationships, something's going out the window, you know, and usually what it seems to be, and as someone who grew up in New York city, you know, family from Brooklyn and then, you know, moved to Staten Island, lived in Manhattan, lived all Mm -hmm. over, worked all over is the health seems to be the one that goes and the stress level is through the roof. And then you have a lot of keeping up with the Joneses and you have a lot right. of... And so, that stress is really the debilitating factor too, because not only does the, the health factors, you know, such mm-hmm. as the environment, the, the air quality and everything affect your stress that you're taking on, but it is that kind of intense energy of constant grasping, you know, upward mobility, ladder climbing, you know, yes. this is for the white collar, but not, you know, everybody's got a little bit. For everybody. If you're first responder, like your brothers yeah. and your family, you know, there's a lot of stress to be a police officer or a fireman in New York. 
a lot of it's responsibility just put on there's, you. There's nowhere like it in the world. I mean, it really yeah. has that. It, and again, there's the positive of it. There's nowhere like it in the world. But my wife, who's from Houston, which we actually met through team guys, and, and I'll explain that oh, in a cool. minute. Yeah, we met. That's our whole thing. If it wasn't for the team, if it wasn't for the SEALs uh, and the community, my wife, I would never have my two sons. Oh, that's cool. I would never have lived in Austin. Uh, you know, my fence is attached to a, to a former team guy who's now in the private security sector. Huh. And basically, you know, when she, when I moved back there to do Luke Cage after doing Sons of Anarchy, because I lived in Los Angeles for 15 years, when I went back, I was so excited because I felt like I was going back home. But you have to remember, I left New York City when I was 17 to go to Albany right. to, do, to go to school there. Yeah, school. Then I went only, I was only back in the city for maybe a couple of months. And then I went to LA for 15 years. So I had this delusions of grandeur of what New York was and if it was the same when I was younger. And mm-hmm. then when I went mm-hmm. back and we were having my first, my first kid, uh, my son, it was completely different than I imagined it. And I was also, I think, looking at it uh, with a rose colored lens because yep. when I was there, the reason I wanted to move back is one of the nonprofits I started, Staten Strong was when Sandy hit and we started rebuilding homes immediately. And uh, we raised like, you know, $500,000 or a million dollars. And we started rebuilding all these different homes. And I felt a sense of community because whenever there's big events, people come together, crisis, everyone comes together, but that goes away very quickly. Sadly. (laughs) You mean in terms of duration, like it's good People are that way for a, f- a few weeks and then they went and they're like, I got I think back. I think you feel this sense of like, oh my God, we all have each other's back. We're going to do this. We're all in this together. And then a couple of weeks later, it's, you know, people giving each other the finger and cursing and <laughs> fight at traffic lights, you know? And you're like, wait a second. I thought we were just That's helping part of that other. New York attitude, right? They got to get right. back to the attitude. Isn't it interesting how New York has, to, has taken this role in kind of leading the country through crisis? Mm-hmm. 9-11. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. 2008 financial crisis, which mm-hmm. you know the epicenter was Wall Street, and now the COVID, the epicenter seems to be Manhattan. It's like three, three whammies, like within the last 20 years. It's because really it's the epicenter of the world. It's where everything occurs. Everything flows through there, right? Everything. All the money, all the people. Yep. And while that's amazing, while it is so fantastic, it's also. I remember I was walking on the streets with a with a, a team guy who was active at the time. He had. He was coming out to New York to stay with me and uh, we were looking up, we were looking up in uh, Times Square and we were about to head to Madison Square Garden. He said, this place is a tactical nightmare, you know, if something goes down there. And and I was living there at the time and I was like, man, he's so right. This is just a tactical nightmare, you know, the way it's set up. And again, when we had my second kid, my attitude now is, and my whole family's there and we get back as much as we can is I love it more than anything but my the way i'm built now is not i can't live there i can visit all the time i just mm-hmm. can't exist there mm-hmm. for my for my own soul for mm-hmm. me it doesn't mean that it hasn't formed and shaped every part of my body and it, and my mind but it's just not for me anymore i yeah. feel uh, a different energy just being in austin and being mm-hmm. more in the country and mm-hmm. being more in touch with nature and all that yeah i feel the same way about california now i mean I mistakenly think, thought after I got off active duty that perhaps I would move back there. And, um, and maybe this was like one of those, it was meant to be moments, but mm-hmm. I brought my wife back, Sandy, and kind of like to check it out. And we went yeah. up to Lake Placid. We, are, we have a family home up in the Adirondacks on, on Lake Placid. Yeah. It's beautiful. Amazing. And we went skiing and everything, and it was 20 below zero. Right? And so this, I'm taking a, a, a woman named Sandy. She's named Sandy for a reason. For a reason, yeah. <laughs> Out of Coronado, California. Yeah. Yeah. And I take her back 20 below zero and I'm floating the idea that maybe we could move back east and we get on the plane in Albany on the way home and she looks at me and she goes, don't ever ask me again. No. <laughs> I'm no. not doing it. I'm like, okay, I check. Uncle, I And that's what happened to me. I'm, I'm a runner. I run marathons. I do all these different you know, races. So I get up every single morning super early and I go running. And what happened was after being 15 years in California, living out in Eagle Rock, Pasadena mm-hmm. area, 
I'm getting up at four or five in the morning and it's nine degrees or minus seven. And I'm like, <laughs> and you got to run and stop at every stoplight, you know, right. and, and dodge the cars. And it's like, how can I run in this? And, and, and again, then it was, I have, you know, uh, now we have one dog, but I had three big dogs at the time. You go to walk them and the salt is burning their feet, their paws. And, no. you know, the kids can't get out. And, you know, so again, for me, it's just, you have to have a certain way about you. And for me, I loved it. We were back there for four years, but after we had my second son, we knew that we just wanted uh, something different. And, mm-hmm. um, and I never thought I'd live in Texas in my life, but I came to Austin and one weekend later I was, you know, we were moving here. We were ready to go. T- tell us about your, um, your, what kind of drew you to acting and, and, how you get into that. Cause that's fascinating to me. You know, I, I don't know too many actors. We've had a, some come through our seal fit yeah. training, by the way. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, I've I'm, done it. I've done the course. I did the option course. I was miserable at it, but I did. Well, it I, I, you did yeah. Oh, you did. You really? Yeah. yeah. yeah that's, it's a, that's a fun one. Uh, <laughs> um, but I invite you to come to our uh, 50 hour Kokoro camp, which is kind of model after whole week. So. I would love it. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, that's what that to me is and probably why I got along so well. And, so what happened was for me, I lived a completely in polar opposite life before this. Yeah. I grew up in an era where what was I was surrounded by, um, because your formative years when you're young shape your brain so much. Yeah. I was told and shown that money was the only thing that mattered. Mm-hmm. The Cadillacs, the nice restaurants, the this, it was all about money. Mm-hmm. They never told you what to do with it when you got it. And they didn't care how you got it, but just get money. <laughs> That's it. Right. That was the, that was the theory. And oh, if you, funny. if you weren't going to play center field for the Yankees and you weren't, it, it, you were going to find any way that you were going to do that. So for me, as the way I grew up, I was like, Oh, okay. If that's the way it is, you know, my father had left when I was nine, you know, he was involved in all different criminal activity. Every single person that I really old and I mean, yeah, everyone, everyone I knew, had been in jail or in one way, that's what they did. <laughs> Even my uncle, who was a pharmacist, wound up going to jail and then committing suicide. It was like everybody was somehow, even if they look legit, was doing something illegal. How prevalent is that across the board in, in uh, you know? In the, the 80s and 90s, it was yeah. pretty prevalent. Was it? Yeah, that's it that soft, prevalent. you know, people talk all the time about the economy. Mm-hmm. And and I wonder how big th- that real economy is that below the radar economy. Yeah. It's probably as big as the regular economy. I, it Massive. probably is, and and I think that it might even have more rules and more uh, <laughs> right. you know <laughs> more more honor in it. Um, you know the thing is is that I that seemed attainable to me. Like I went, oh, I can't. I'm probably not going to play for the Knicks. I'm probably, even though I played football in high school and I was going to Albany to play football and that was the plan. My whole team, we only lost two games in, in high school. Uh, you know, my whole four years there, we won the state championship. I was like, Oh, this is, but I knew physically that I wasn't going to play football beyond maybe a few years in college. So what was I going to do? Yeah. And you know, what I did was I figured out how to make money and I was good at it. And then what were some of the ways that you did that? Just out of Oh, just, you know, uh, selling dope, you know, any way I can, all different <laughs> kinds, you know, whatever I can do, um, you know, and anything else, anything that involved whatever I had to do to make money in any way. It reminds me of, I remember reading 50 cents book, yeah. right? And 50 cent had the same story, like whatever you had to do, right? Didn't matter. You did. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. And, and the rules of the street were brutal. Yeah, it's credit card scams. It's whatever, again, whatever was there and whatever was available, there was never a thought in your mind of, I probably shouldn't do this. It was, oh, I'm told to make money. This is. Did did any of your friends, sorry about that. I'm just so so intrigued with this kind of, the criminal mindset is, it's not like people are trying to be bad. It's just like, like you said, that's just what happens. That's just what what you do. And I'm curious, is like, there anyone in your family or who's looked at that and said, you know what? I'm actually just going to go uh, to Wall Street and and work my way up, and I'm going to. Those, do were, those it. were the biggest criminals. 
<laughs> Check. Those are the biggest criminals of yeah. them all. That, I mean, and, and, and they make movies about that. Those guys are right. the biggest criminals of them all. I know. And, and so it was just another racket. I always looked at everything as it's a racket. That yeah. was another racket. Well, and even were, government is a big racket too, right? There's so listen, much city crony workers, capitalism going city, on. Yeah, oh city, you know, you could talk forever in, in unions and this and, and the way people do, you know, people sitting on the job and highways would take 25 years to be built right. because people, anybody who's going to find a loophole is going to find a loophole. That's right. Fascinating. So, so for me, that was happening and that's what I knew how to do. Mm-hmm. And then when I got out of college, I had to make a decision. And I had gotten very, very fortunate in college, meaning that there were things that happened to me at the end, because that's where I was doing most of my hustling was in college. And it was a safer place. It was safer to hustle in Albany than it was, than it would be to do in New York, to do it in New York City, because now you're talking uh, more probability of jail time, more probability of gunplay, more probability of things that can go wrong. So when I came back, I knew that. And I also knew that I had gotten lucky. So I had no discernible skills except how to think on my feet, how to uh, figure things out. And, but I had no, what was I going to do? I had a degree, but I paid people to do my papers. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I had street smarts, but I had no uh, educational thing, even though I hear I was with a degree from the university at Albany. If you've been a longtime listener of my podcast, you might have heard me talk about electric muscle stimulation and the power dot and know that I'm a big fan of it. If you're not familiar, EMS uses electrical signals sent into your muscle to force contractions. Those contractions increase blood circulation. They'll flush waste from the muscles, increase the muscle's potential and hypertrophy. As a natural adjunct to your training, The PowerDot can help you relieve pain, recover faster, and improve your performance. I've been using this tool for a while now. I love it. It it does help me relieve pain from training. I recover a lot faster from my workouts. And most importantly for me, it accelerates me past training plateaus. And I can use this thing basically at home or uh, at my gym or even take it with me when I travel. It's a very small package and I can run it from my phone. The other thing I appreciate about is the education I get from within the app. I'm able to select the body part I want to focus on, the program that best suits my needs, and then the app prompts me with a pad placement and gives me additional tips on how to use it and ideas on best practices. I don't need a user manual. I don't need to search the internet to figure out how to use this thing. It's not surprising to me that PowerDot is being used by professional athletes around the globe from the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NHL, MLS, and elite athletes from the Tour de France, Olympians, and CrossFitters, and special operators. So now you can improve your physical training immediately with this smart muscle stimulator device, the PowerDot. They're now offering a 30-day at-home trial, and they're giving Unbeatable Mind listeners an additional 20% off for a limited time. So don't sit around waiting for this one. Go get it at powerdot.com, that's P-O-W-E-R-D-O-T dot com. Use the code unbeatable when you check out. So it's powerdot.com, use the code unbeatable when you check out. All right, go check it out. I think this is a great tool. Hoo-yah. So what happened was, there was a friend of mine who was taking an acting class in Manhattan and the story goes where, you know, he was doing it and he was working in pharmaceuticals and he was, you know, using it for whatever it was, public speaking and maybe acting, whatever he was using it for. I went by that school because they didn't have anything to do. I was helping out my mom who was uh, starting a business out of the house to kind of make some money, creating flower girl dresses and christening dresses. And then, um, Something clicked. What happened was I had never stood up in class. I had never done anything. I basically, what they call is like, uh, you audit the class. I did that forever. I never, I never got up. I just sat there and just watched. And I, I, to me, it was the furthest thing from my reality. I never knew anyone who was an actor. I never met anyone who was an actor. Uh, to me, it seemed like that was um, what other people did. It mm-hmm. wasn't what I did. And then what happened was, uh, you know, somebody came in to cast a film 
called Born at the Wrong Time about a young drug dealer and an older drug dealer in, in the form of uh, be similar to like an American History X, but with older drug dealer, young drug dealer, older one coming out of prison. It's this independent film and the teacher said I should talk to the guy and I did and I got the role and I didn't know how to act, but I knew how, but I knew how to act. But you knew how to do the work or the, you just had to be yourself, right? Well, here's what happened. Uh, I, there's a story once and I, I'll never forget this. I, I, I had gotten in some pretty precarious situations at a young age. And at one time I had been pulled over in a very high pressure situation where I had, I, I could have gotten in a lot of trouble but I was very calm. My heart rate was very low. I was okay. I knew how to act in that moment. And what I found now 20 years in the game of acting is that if you believe it, other people will, right? right. So you have to convince, the eyes never lie. You have to convince yourself. And at that moment, when I talked to this teacher and we would go back on my past and we would do this kind of what they call sense memory stuff and that was created by Uta Hagen and all these crazy uh, teachers, these Russian teachers was, I now knew that if I can pull stuff from my past and I can keep myself calm, that I can act. Mm -hmm. And then what I did is like I do with everything, I inundated myself with it where I studied the history of Hollywood from the beginning, from Charlie Chaplin and Max Sennett creating basically what is now known as the Hollywood system to reading Paul Newman's books and reading Sidney Poitier and and Montgomery Clifton. Then basically diving in and saying, if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in, move to LA with my five best friends in, uh, we got there October 31st, 99. And then I started, you know, busboying and waiting tables and bar backing and doing whatever I could. And then when that would go low, I would go back to hustling because it's what I knew. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, I got fortunate. And less than two years later, I'd got a, this pretty good role in this TV show. And then, uh, and then my entire life changed in 08 with Sons of Anarchy. Mm-hmm. And then it was uh, to loop it into kind of in your world. And then what happened was when we were doing that show, life changed overnight. Even though I had done 40 TV shows before that, Hmm. my life had changed dramatically because I had done one or two episodes of Grey's Anatomy, an episode of Lost or an episode of NYPD Blue. But here I was on this show that took off like a rocket. It changed Mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. And one of the guys on the show was a, he was a singer actor named Henry Rollins. And he was Mm -hmm. doing a lot of work for um, Mm -hmm. wounded warriors at the time. Mm -hmm. And he said, Hey, you know, the show is one of the biggest shows in the military. And I said, we've only been on two years. I said, and at this point it wasn't a big show, Mm -hmm. but he said, these guys downrange, these guys are watching it all the time. There's something about the motorcycle clubs and, and, you know, where, if you think about how a lot of clubs got started, it was guys who came back from Vietnam and looked mm-hmm. for camaraderie and all that. Mm-hmm. He said, you should do a USO tour. So I was like, wow, I, I can probably get the guys to do that. I would love to do that. Mm-hmm. So we, we uh, next thing you know, uh, four of us are going over to Balad Air Force Base for a couple of weeks. Oh, cool. And, and we were there and, you know, Baghdad and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, different parts of Iraq, staying on the base, going up in the C-130s, flying in the Blackhawks with the air cab guys. And these guys would wait for hours to come and meet us when no one really knew who the show was, but these guys were so loyal to it. And what I found was in that time with them, how little we were actually doing for the, these guys who were making it, these men and women who were making it easy for me to go get a latte at Starbucks and no, and you know what I mean? And <laughs> right, nobody, right. and take yet, it for granted because it's out of sight, out of mind. For it me. was out of sight, out of mind. And I just said, wow, this is, this is unbelievable. So now here I am, I become, you know, friends with a lot of the guys. And how, how did you meet the seals over there? Were they, well, well they weren't there at oh, the time. So what happened was I come back. Well, they weren't where you were. That is no, they weren't exactly. <laughs> they weren't, they weren't, they might've been there, they but were I there didn't already. see them. I didn't see them. <laughs> they weren't. Where, so we were with the air cab guys a lot. We were on base a lot. And what happened was we come back and this organization called the boot campaign, which is still around great organization. They reached out to the sons of anarchy and they knew that mm-hmm. we had done this stuff with the military. And they said, mm-hmm. we want to do this thing called a boot shoot where everybody, you know, when they come back, we give back. It was this big thing they were doing. So they said, we want to invite you to this event in Vegas. It was 2011 and it was a UFC event. And I was a huge fan from the beginning. And I met Marcus, Morgan, Boss, JT, all these different guys were down there and uh, they were with the people from the boot campaign. 
So now we all start hanging out. That's my first introduction to the guys. And they become lifelong friends. And my wife at the time was working for the boot campaign. Mm -hmm. We met, we became friendly because she helped out with Staten Strong and she was basically doing all the stuff with the boot campaign because she used to work for uh, Marcus's um, uh, Lone Survivor, Lone Survivor charity. Yeah, right. Lone Survivor Foundation. And then she came over to the boot campaign and Marcus and Morgan were over there too. And then, uh, you know, year, a couple of years later, we, would, we started doing these, as Sons of Anarchy grew, we started doing these uh, boot rides in LA where we would get thousands and thousands of people to come and ride and raise all this money for the vets and um, all the seals would come out and ride mm -hmm. with us mm -hmm. on the bikes and they would stay at my house. All the different guys would stay at my house. And um, then my wife and I reconnected uh, and now we have two little kids oh, and, um, and I've been to Coronado a bunch and, you know, I stay at my guy Econ's house and uh, you know, we would go out there and we would, and we would just hang out and, and uh, I got to really know the community and I was, blown away because what you guys were was the rock stars of the military. The military guys were different than the SEALs. The SEALs were more um, the Rolling Stones in a way, if that makes sense, right. of yeah. flip-flops and tattoos and big and chilling and, and just different. Right. A, a different attitude, I would say, towards almost like bucking the system, almost like the mm -hmm. outlaws, which Sons of Anarchy was, almost right. like the outlaws of the system. So we yeah. had this instinct. Yeah, it was, and it was amazing. And as someone who wants to push themselves to the absolute limit, the mindset was so similar. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that was it. My life changed from sons on, and now we have multiple companies and multiple so different cool. things. And, and, uh, a lot of it has to do with that moment in time, yeah. um, 2010, 2011. Man, there's so many different directions I could take this, but I, I think the just like what is it like the day in the life of you on the set of anarchy is really interesting to me like what was your morning routine how did you stay motivated mm -hmm. what were the risks and what did, you know what were your what were your biggest insights i know that i'm asking i'm throwing a lot at you but no, like, it's all good. give us a peek or like help me feel like yeah. i'm on the set of anarchy and i'm yeah. an act actor yeah, so for me, it was different. My character was covered in tattoos, had a mohawk, had the whole thing. Um, so I was first in, usually 4.30 in the morning, first in, usually an hour and a half before all the guys. paint all the tattoos on? Or was yeah, you know, because it was really hot. We would shoot in the summer. So, you know, these things would last as long as they could, but the ones on the head would come off if you're putting your helmet on and off. Right. Um, so I'd be first in. So I got to run in the morning before that. So go for a run, two, three in the morning, you know, go – Get that, get that out, you know, get that energy going. And, it's an early wake-up call. Holy God. Yeah, and usually when I would do my best thought of how I'm going to prepare for this day, of how I'm going to play these scenes or where my character is going to go, I get on my runs. Mm -hmm. So if I can go get a six, seven miler in, I could really deduce kind of exactly how so I want to. you're dirt diving the day. You, you generally know in advance, right, what scenes are going to be shot. So you're, exactly. you're living it in advance. You're mentalizing it. Awesome. Yeah. And I have to see it and I have to run, you know, no music. I have to quiet my brain. It's my form of meditation. I have to hear my steps. I have to hear my breath. And then I can get into that zone of what am I going to create in my head? Right. Mm -hmm. And for me, as I exert energy, my brain gets more active. Right. So I try to do my phone calls when I walk. I try to do a lot of things while I'm in movement. Yeah. I love that. That's so, so true too. Yeah. Really because, good. because you're, you're sparking, right. You're not yeah. just laying there. You're right. Or you're not, you're not, um, you're not uh, distracted by a computer or your phone in your hand. You're just dealing with this one thing at hand, whether it be the phone call, whether it be the thought process. So I would do that. I, then I'd go in um, first in we, you know, everybody's tired and doing their thing and we'd all, we, and then I would start the day and I always felt that I had to, you're going to set the tone. Now the difference with sons was anarchy was it's an ensemble cast. So, Unlike recently where if I'm doing movies and they're my movies where you're, for lack of a better word, the lead of the film or the mm -hmm. lead of the TV show, you can dictate the pace more. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, no matter how you dictate the pace in an ensemble show, the creator or the main actor is going to dictate it, right? right, um, right. So you, I would try to keep it very light, very happy, very uh, let's make fun. I make fun of everybody. It's just kind of what I do. I like to keep things light because the scenes I would do 
would be so heavy. My character was sure. so heavy, M- really just awful stuff that he would do and that would be done to him. So I would have to mentally stay in that space. And, it, and I got better at this 20 years in the game where I've gotten better is I used to not be able to get out of the space. So right. who I was playing, I would have to stay in. It's kind of reminding me, who was it? Joaquin Phoenix that got in, yeah. that played the Joker and yeah, he just could, yeah. couldn't get out of the headspace? It's hard. It's, it's, it almost, it, it comes with tenure. And I think that it also comes with, um, if you can switch that part of your brain, almost, almost, you know, for lack of a better word, almost becoming like slightly bipolar where you're like, like okay. Compartmentalize the extreme, right? Exactly. <laughs> like you go, this is like, like, I mean, you know all about this, right? It's like, okay, I'm this person here. And then when I'm at home in the garage with my wife, I'm this person, right? So how mm-hmm. do you become two people without losing your mind? Right. So in that case, I had to, because again, I'm such a believer of the eyes never lie. If you don't believe it, I don't believe it. So I have to believe it. I can't fake the funk. And especially if you're any bit of a perfectionist, if you, right. you want to go to the extremes. Now, obviously in a character like that, who, who takes a lot of people's lives, on screen, I haven't taken anybody's life. You know, I've, 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 I've choked a few people in jujitsu and, you know, I've done whatever, but I've never taken someone's life. So I have to go in my head and go, where was there a moment where I wanted to take someone's life in a moment? Like maybe mm-hmm. it was a road rage or maybe it was uh, someone, you know, hit into my son. And, and for a moment, you, you, you know, your, mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. your red brain takes over, your, your mm-hmm. eyes go red, you know. And then you, then you let it go and you become a citizen, right? right. You, you let it go. I have to take that and make that believable for a long stretch while filming. Right. right. So I had to become almost like master my emotions. So in my day now, I'm in the makeup trail. I'm getting everything done. I'm trying to process. I'm trying to get in that space. I'm listening to that music that's going to get me there. And then I, you generally stay away from a lot of people depending on the day. And if it's a drama, which is usually what I do, um, I've doing more comedies lately. I stay away from people, hmm. and because I'm, you think they're going to pull you out, or the interaction going to pull you out of your kind of character. It could be role. anything. It could be just someone you know wants to lay their shit on you, or someone mm-hmm. is you know hungover, or someone is not in the mindset you're in. And for mm-hmm. me, I only have one shot at this, so I don't need I don't need that infiltration. I can. For me, it's like. Uh, a few hours for the better good. That's going to live forever. What's on that screen. So let me just do what I need to do here because nobody's ever going to watch you on screen and go, man, I bet you, uh, I bet you he was tired that day. I bet you that was bad makeup or I bet they're going to say you're either good or you're not. Right. That's it. True. Right. So I have only that one chance. So I have to give it all to that or I'm not going to do it. And I've lived my entire life with that attitude of like, if I'm going to do it, I have to do it all the way. Mm-hmm. The problem is in the world we live in is that uh, most people are not programmed like that. And in most things you do, you have to have other people, mm-hmm. whether it be a sound engineer, whether it be your producer, whether it be whatever. So if you don't, you almost have to take your frustration and put it somewhere. Cause you're like, I don't understand why is so in that case of acting, my thing was distance. Let me just stay distant. Now I've worked with actors who could turn it on and off in a second. And it is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. That's fascinating. I'm not there. I'm, I'm getting better because I have triggers. I have words. I have mm-hmm. things that I do, exercises that I say a word before they start rolling the camera. And that word will bring me to where I need to be. Mm-hmm. Almost like a hypnotist kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I was never good enough in my mind to just be joking around, joking around, and then they call action and I, and I turn yeah. it. Can we pause there? Because yeah. you just said something that is a profoundly valuable tool for everybody, everybody listening. And it's that uh, state change trigger, right? Mm-hmm. And I know that's, this is a big part of Tony Robbins training, um, you know, to, to literally have a, you know, he, he teaches like a physical a physical kind of action, you know, like mm-hmm. boom, you know, he slaps his chest yep. and pumps his hand in the air, but that's not just, it's not just about, you know, I'm, I'm a badass. He's got a whole series of, you know, internal dialogues, imagery, and then emotional, you know, stuff going on with that, which yeah. instantly or very quickly 
right? And if you ever watch his documentary, I'm not your guru, he does this kind of, yeah, he does this kind of routine where he, he does his, does little breathing and then he gets on his trampoline and then he does this boom, boom, state change spin. And then he goes on stage and that's it. And that pops him into this boom, Tony Robbins, I'm on stage for 11 hours straight and let's go. And then he doesn't waver, doesn't lose focus. That's exactly, that's how a did, small thing How did you come that by that? How did you come by that? And how could you train, could you give someone like the, the two minute, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Theo Ross training in that? Yeah. So, so what happened is ultimately I had to find a way to quiet the noise. The noise is always going to be there. I can't get away from the noise. That's the world we live in. I can't control the outside factors. I can't control the people talking. I can't control, I've tried. I can't control the, 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 you know, the people Everybody walk, tries that. <laughs> walking in the background and I, I can't control it. It's, it's, it's uncontrollable. Right. Only thing I can control is me. So especially when you're in a big scene with a lot of people, there might be a thousand extras. There might be um, 20 people in the room who, who aren't speaking as much in the scene. So they're just kind of going through the motions, mm-hmm. especially if you have a big thing going on. So what I had to do was I had to give myself a technique that while I'm looking around and seeing all this stuff that I was going to center myself. So mm-hmm. for me, my uncle was a profound influence in my life. He, um, when I lost my father years later, he had moved back to New York and he was a true hippie. He was living in Northern Cali and he was just an incredible human being. And he didn't have a penny to his name, broker than broke, but he had compassion and heart and, and he had, a. Uh, uh, life lessons that were incredible to me. And they, they stay with me every second of my life. Mm-hmm. And what happened was on my first big film ever at the rap party, I was in Toronto, 2004. While I was in Canada for those three months, I was actually doing a film about West Point, the West Point cheating scandal in uh, <laughs> uh, whenever the, that, yeah. Yeah, them and Navy <laughs> would play in those giant football games. And the football players got caught cheating on the honor system. And, and, uh, it was this big scandal and I, I think it was the forties or fifties mm. while I was doing that movie. It was the first time I'd ever made money acting uh, a lot of money. Um, when I say a lot to me, I had literally zero dollars and um, he would write me handwritten letters when I was in Canada. And in the last letter he ever wrote me, he wrote, uh, just remember son, cause he would call me son. I would call him pop. He wrote, even in death, I'll always be with you. Oh, wow. Interesting. Two nights later, we had the rap party for the movie. And I was into nefarious activity and being crazy like I always was back then. Um, and uh, I get a call and he had passed away in his sleep. And he was battling many things, dialysis and he had a quadruple bypass in his 40s and all this kind of stuff. So what happened was after from then on in when I was acting, it started to come to me that I wanted him with me at all times because he was the reason ultimately why I had gotten as far as I'd gotten at that moment. So I would say, in my head, I would say, I love you, Unc. And then I'd go. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, I love you, Unc. It would put my smile and my face in a better position. It would put my inner energy in a better position. And then I'd go. And and, and to be fair, metaphysically, you probably were connecting at him, connecting with him some level. And he was there. He was there. For you, right. There for me. And this influence of him was now over me while I was in there. So I felt unstoppable. Mm -hmm. I would use that. And what it became was as much as it became about him, it also became a trigger where when, when I, if I had forgotten it, I, I, the the take would go haywire or the, 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 it it didn't work. And I would have to do another one where I said it, even if I was just getting, you know, OCD about it, I needed it. Mm -hmm. And I've expanded on it now in many years through it. And there is just this moment where I look around, I know the timing, I know what's about to happen. I know where they're going to call rolling. I'm an overworker. So the dialogue is never my problem. I know everyone's dialogue on the set because that's going to free me to be more free. Mm -hmm. And then I use my little words and it brings me into the scene. And then what I, the, the, the sad reality is, is that after it, I'm emotionally exhausted. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm emotional. so much wreck. energy into it, yeah. Yeah, because I have to. And um, that has been the new balance that I've been working on, not the sneaker. The new balance is I'm trying to figure out 
So I'm getting better. And with my last few films, my last TV show, I've gotten better now because it's not, it's not for my wife and kids to see. It's not mm-hmm. for the other people in my life. It's the way I choose to work. So I have to compartmentalize, like you said, and I have to be able to bring it home, but keep it somewhere else. Right. And um, I believe that I'm in awe of the people who can turn it on and off and be great. People like Anthony Hopkins could just read the phone book and they're interesting. He has a very interesting <laughs> It's yeah, interesting. Just you the know? way he presents his just character. The way he, just the way he speaks. So for me, uh, and where That's I cool. never play myself, I never wanted, I don't ever want people to know Theo Rossi. I never want people to know me as a, as a person. I want them to know the characters I'm playing. Right. That's good. Interesting. So, so that's what I do. Hey folks, I want to bring your attention to a product developed by a Navy SEAL friend of mine who was a doctor. Uh, first he was a SEAL, then he became a doctor and then he went back and worked with the SEALs. His name is Doc Parsley. Some of you might've heard of him by now. We call him the sleep doc. All these SEALs were starting to come to him and, and, you know, with these symptoms that looked like adrenal fatigue. And so he started treating adrenal fatigue and realized that the common denominator with all these guys that they weren't sleeping. It's a pretty big problem in military spec ops with the pace of operations and combat. And these guys were just all out of whack. Cortisol was racing their body. Their hormones were depleted. And, you know, they had the, essentially the, the testosterone level of 13-year-old girls is the way he jokes about it. They had a big problem. And what he found is that they were working out like madmen, but they're putting on weight. Their, you know, cognitive level was like they were drunk. Anyways, they were, they had this perception that they could perform, but they just couldn't perform anymore. And it was a real problem. So he identified that the common denominator was lack of sleep. So even an hour of not enough sleep a night over the course of a year is going to lead to 14 pounds of weight gain and could degrade your performance by up to 30%. Throws your testosterone, your growth hormones, in, in insulin sensitivity all out of whack. And it's going to create emotional uh, instability, decision-making um, challenges, impulse uh, control challenges, and decrease your willpower. Basically, your prefrontal cortex is compromised. So what he did is he, he went around and he, and, he, and he said, go buy this, buy this, buy this, and then, you know, start taking it and it worked. And so they said, well, this is a pain in the neck to buy all this. Can you, can you put it all together into one thing? And so that became Doc Parsley's sleep remedy. I tried this recently at our Unveil Mind Summit and it worked really, really well. I, I kid you not. Like I took it and I fell asleep within 20 minutes and uh, I didn't have any grogginess when I woke up. I thought it was great stuff. So, um, I told him I wanted to uh, let my folks know about it, let you know people who are listening to this podcast know about it. And he offered everyone a 10% off. So if you want to try Doc Parsley's Sleep Re- Remedy, uh, which is essentially a, it's just a supplement, it's a nutritional supplement, it's all natural stuff, which creates a normal cascade of the physiological things that are supposed to happen when um, you're going to go to sleep. But a lot of us don't have that cascade or don't have that stuff happening anymore because of our lifestyle. So this will kind of stimulate um, proper, you know, preparation for sleep and and the and the sleep cycles. Um, he has an unlimited, no questions asked, money back guarantee. Um, you can't beat that. So go to docparsley.com, d-o-c-p-a-r-s-l-e-y.com, and use the code unbeatable mind, all one word, all all one word, unbeatable mind, when you check out to get ten percent off. And uh, highly recommend it. Who yeah? It's fascinating. It's reminding. I mean, the SEAL teams. We have the the mission brief, but it's more than a brief, right? It's a it's imagery. It's language. It's a mental rehearsal. It's the time to come together as a team and then to go apart individually and to prepare mm-hmm. for your role. And then it's game time. And there's yeah. a, the same sort of mental triggering that goes on. And then when you know, if you ever seen a, a SEAL on mission, whoo right? Stand by. It's a very, very different character than the seal you you you, you see in in the church pew or or at the bar or whatever. And then there's a a post-mission process too, like you're talking about. And and not not all seals have the best post-mission process, but the best ones do. And that's how do you you decompress? How do you debrief? How do you learn from what happened? And how do you set aside what you don't want to take home to your wife and kids? Yeah. And you, you, I've, I've listened to your show a bunch and, and you had recently an episode with, uh, with another uh, team guy, Chad, right? Yeah, um, right? And yeah. And on it, 
here on on that episode, you did a, an ad, a commercial for Dr. Parsley stuff, right? That's right. Yeah. So so here's awesome, what's funny. By the way. He's, He's awesome. Funny. So here's what's funny. In 2010, 2011, whenever I was, or maybe it was 11, I was in Coronado. I was with you know one of the guys. And I was having a real hard time because for the role I was playing at the time, I had gotten down like super low. I was about 160 something pounds. My energy was really not great. I wasn't mm-hmm. sleeping. The character had really taken over my brain. And he said, hey, listen, man, you got to check your cortisol levels. You got to check this. You got to check that. And he, had, he said, there's a guy, former SEAL, was now a doctor. He was helping the guys out. And I still have the email. And he sent me the email and it was like, you need vitamin D, you need uh, this, you know, 5-HTP, you need this. Right. And it was just this whole combination. And it changed my life. I was sleeping incredible. I felt amazing. And I was like, wow. And what he told me was that a lot of these guys were coming back. Their testosterone was in the tank. Right. They can't, obviously, the sleep we talk about, right? You got to get that, that, that mm-hmm. quality sleep in, that quality rest day. And, you know it changed that changed my life. And it wound up being the doctor who now has, you know, the product, which is incredible. And what I found at that moment is if you're going to put yourself in these high pressure situations, whatever that is, mentally, physically, whatever you're going to do, there's so many more steps that come with that. Mm -hmm. And what I've always been intrigued by, and I was dealing with this with a lot of the air cab guys is I would watch guys before they would, you know, uh, before they would deploy and I would watch how their wives would be distant, how p- the families would stop talking, or like there was, they were almost preparing mm-hmm. mentally how they had to prepare. I would take all that in like a sponge because my job is to mimic reality. Mm-hmm. And I would watch how people would act in these high pressure situations, even if it's the spouse of the warrior, even mm-hmm. if it's, and I would go, this is incredible our self-protective mode of what we need to do. And one of the things, and I tell this story a lot, I was with one of the team guys once and he said, you know, I got to tell you, man, I have a hard time existing in the world. Mm-hmm. But if I'm hanging off the side of an aircraft carrier, jumping out of a helo yeah. or doing whatever. You're right at home. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm right at home and my heart rate's yeah. at 38, 42. But if I go into a Starbucks, I'm, I'm through the roof because it's so unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. I have come to feel that way a lot and, and why I've probably, you know, hidden myself in Austin is why I had to get out of LA. Why I had to get out of New York is uh, the acting world and Hollywood world is a strange thing. Wolves, a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing, a lot mm-hmm. of people that are nefarious uh, mm-hmm. attitudes, a lot of things. So I found myself that when I'm on set, when I'm, when I'm in a controlled atmosphere of, of that, you know, with, and I could do my thing that I love, when I'm with my, you know, I'm getting better when I'm with my kids and my wife. And, but when I'm dealing with people I don't know and, and dealing with people who I know probably don't have the same mindset, mm-hmm. I've had to retreat mm-hmm. more and more, um, which is probably well, why. That's just like- a way of using, you know, altering your environment to protect your energy, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, that's really important. You need that kind of sacred space to protect your energy. And then when you, you know, enter the mission, in your case, when it's on the set or through the sealess, you know, when you step foot in the helicopter, yeah. you, that's, it helps you to shift focus. And then when you come back, you need that kind of sacred space. And then, you, you know, there's, there's certain rituals that you've developed, right, to kind of ramp up and prepare for that peak performance moment, mm-hmm. even if it's like, I don't know how long, it, you know, you would shoot a season of anarchy, but what, like three six months, months six, six months. months. Yeah. So yeah. that's game time. Yeah. But then, then you have a ritual to kind of come back down and even, but the next six months or whatever, the period between your next shoot, you got to protect that time, both protect your family and your energy. I yeah. And it's funny because they're so polar opposite as someone who's, you know, been to almost every military base in the country and spent many time at Pendleton and hood and mm-hmm. all these different places. And I've been around, some of the some of the greatest people I've ever met. I compare it to like when I'm around mixed martial arts fighters or you know high level black belts in jujitsu or whatever. Is there's there's a certain if you're going to go to that level, if you're going to do something on the extreme level, if you're going to be spec ops, if you're going to do something that's on a different from ninety five percent of the the population, if you're going to go to that other place, you also have to learn that there is consequences to that. That's, that's right. going to come. And I think that a lot of people don't see that. And I think why a lot of people get burnt out in all those things we talk about is 
they only see the positives of it. You know, people think of, of seals and rangers and, and other guys and they think, Oh my God, that, that's amazing. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking about the yeah. combat. They're not thinking about the deployments, the, the missions. Right, they're not right. thinking about all the things that come with it. They're just saying like, Oh man, he's a seal. He's a former seal. Right. He must have it all together. Right. We had a saying, everyone wanted to be a frogman on a sunny day. You know, know, this has been such a fun conversation. I feel like we're just getting warmed up, but I have a podcast in eight minutes (laughs) with another individual. I'm killing you, man. Go do it. You're killing me. I want to do this. I want to continue this conversation. I'm sure people love to do this more. We got to do this again. Yes, we will. Or maybe we, you know, I'll come on your podcast. Yeah, I would would love that. that, How about that? We're going to guarantee that. I'm going to take you up on that and we're going to continue right where we were. Yeah, and that's, that's to, just They'll have pause, to listen to part one the, on yours, part two on mine. All right. On I Game, love that. That's a deal. Let's uh, we'll mentally shake on that. I and, love that. And my uh, invitation for you to attend when we get our Seal Fit events back online, if you want to come out and do a Kokoro or a 20X and, and just play, it. or even if you just want to come out and observe, or if you want us no, to film, no, I want to do go. a little film, you know. I would film it. If I'm going, inter- I'm going. Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work on that. I think that'd be great. Well, the real pleasure, my brother. It really was. And I, and I appreciate everything you do. And you're an incredible motivation. And, uh, and, and thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you, man. I appreciate you, you saying that. I'm really glad we got to meet. And I look forward to, you know, in person. Yes, sir. Y- even if we have to do the elbow. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're yeah. going to get a big hug no, from I me. Think, yeah, <laughs> I, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm helping. Where can Let's people go. learn more about you? Um, at Theo Rossi? Is that yeah, your Instagram? Yeah, on all the socials and everywhere. Theo Rossi Instagram, Theo Rossi Twitter. Who knows? You know, whatever. They're, they're, they're all over. Just, you're, easy uh, to, you're easy to find. I'm Just easy Google. to find. Theo, T-H-E-O, Ross. Yeah, go to Theory. The new podcast is Theory with Theo Rossi. And yeah, check it out. Awesome. All right, Thank brother. You, brother. Super you. cool. Great to meet you. I appreciate yes. you too. All Enjoy right, the rest of your day. Yeah, hoo ya. That was right. Theo Rossi. Check him out at Theo Rossi and uh, Sons of Anarchy. And we'll see you soon. This is Divine Out.